Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Ohitari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who always sounds like the mom and dad from Peanuts. Wah wah wah. Wah wah. Wah 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 wah. Wah wah wah. Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Uh, over there for a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get a little bonus content. Yeah, we you love can. The bonus content. Everybody loves oh, bonus yeah. content. We do a non-criterion film over there every month, and our supporters vote on what movie we're going to watch. Put together a list with uh, four films, usually in a theme, and then the fifth choice is always, always, always... Kazam, the 1996 children's movie starring Shaquille O'Neal as a genie. Uh, it's a movie. It's a fine movie. We've watched it, it is, a couple of times now. It's it, better it than I expect. Like, given the the reaction that the internet seemed to have to it, at a, not now so much, but earlier, <laughs> right, I was expecting right, it to right, be right. the worst movie I've ever... It was fine. It's, it's whatever. It's We've Listen, seen worse. We've plenty, definitely seen worse. There were plenty of major studio released children's films from the mid 90s that are absolutely worse <laughs> but but it's fun uh also we let our uh, supporters suggest lists if they feel so inclined or suggest movies to put on a list um usually when that happens the person who suggests that list gets invited to be on the podcast so we have uh to talk about whatever movie they suggested so we have a lot of uh a lot of nice guests over there a lot of fun yeah so if uh, you're interested in being in the podcast pay a dollar yeah and then write a list right. that is good enough that Adam thinks, hey, I could do this instead of trying to think of my own this month. Don't don't pretend like there's a level of good enough. Well, uh, no, I will okay. take any excuse. To That's not true. Think. You might be right. I, I'm just thinking in terms it is of not, like, It is not 100% true that every suggested list That's has what made I'm it. saying. That's all I'm saying. But, but basically, it is only not true because someone will say, hey, you should do a list like this, like this, like this, or like this. And I'll use two or three of okay. those ideas over the fair. course of a few months, and then forget that the fourth one exists. Okay, that's fair. Um, but so. I, I was, I was hedging our bets for our future onslaught of super popularity on the internet. Oh where yeah, people yeah, start yeah, yeah. paying a dollar to suggest right, bad. Right, we don't, us. we don't want to, we don't want to write checks right now that we don't want to yeah, cash like, later. My body, so, frankly, yeah. cannot cash any checks. Yeah, that's. That's that's good. Yeah, I mean that's not really how the financial system works anymore. Well, so. maybe not. Well, apparently, according to the United States government, <laughs> it is how it works. And boy, <laughs> let me fair. tell you how long it took you took me to figure out a way to cash a check from the United States government in Japan. <laughs> the answer is about yeah. eleven months. <laughs> Great. Great. Well, at least you finally got your first stimulus. Well, hey, I there's don't have a it yet. Few more it's on still the way in the process of being cashed because it takes a month to go through processing. Uh. I'm going to get it any day now. Well, in the, I mean, you can just take it to a grocery store, right? I don't think you can do that anymore. (laughs) Remember when grocery stores cash checks? Yeah, a very recent Bob's Burgers episode was about that. And I I spent so much time trying to explain that to my children. What was going (laughs) on? Great. Great. Beautiful. Uh, 
But yeah, uh, patreon.com slash lost in criterion. That's the, the dollar tier is uh, just access to the bonus episode and voting on the bonus episodes, the entire back catalog of bonus episodes. There's over 40 over there now because we've been doing yeah, it for could, a few years listen, it's monthly. Almost could listen to one, yeah. uh, one a week for the rest of the, for a year. Right. Almost. We're yeah. almost there. Yeah. At $5, it's, you know, just for people who want to give us a little extra support. We like to thank those people on air. That's all they're getting out of it, that $5. Well, but we're all, very mean, grateful like, for it. We Well, I mean, they them. get the we get the lower tier but we verbally appreciate them as as their five dollar supporters uh thank you so much to steven goldmeyer who's our only yes, five thank you right now and uh yeah uh a little above that the reason there's only one five dollar supporter is that a little above that we do something that is uh really enticing to our supporters i'm, I'm very glad about that uh and it's really great i mean it's it's not just enticing to our supporters. It's a fantastic idea that we had to offer, and I love doing it. I do too. Uh, Pat makes a Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I got that printed up on a postcard and uh, write a little thank you note and mail that off to our ten dollar and above supporters. Uh, also, like to thank them on air. Thank you so much to Patrick Yako, Christopher Otto, uh, to Michael McGrath, uh, Adam Speakerman, and Jason Westhaver, our ten dollar and above supporters. You know what's you know what's really fun the, the the most recent one was really is I'm really proud of the most recent uh, postcard, yeah. uh, but you know what's really fun to make that happen, I managed to make a P, uh, a, a Photoshop file that was was like 350 megs. <laughs> That's beautiful. Because like that is beautiful. The, the source images like the source resources were so so large. That, yeah, it, it was it was, it was actually causing my computer to be like visibly angry at me like the the first time i've ever opened photoshop and had like the fans ramp up on my case be like whoa <laughs> buddy what are you doing here like what's what is this that is beautiful that is beautiful i'm glad it, it's a fine piece of art if you do want to see the art without committing to the ten dollar and above uh level if you head over to redbubble.com and search for lost and criterion you can see all of the back catalog of postcards with a couple of exceptions one uh yeah, is the the one that uh that got a Toho uh, takedown notice because like, it featured a Godzilla-esque image. O- almost that, immediately. That isn't even really actually Godzilla. No, it is uh, not. But, that, but the Toho. funny thing is yeah. it is it is, in, it is very much meets the definition of, like, fair use. Right. It is just they yeah. – it has a, a, a representation of Godzilla's face in it. And they're like, nope, that's right. ours. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that one got taken down. And also we uh, – we only put them up on a three-month delay so that our supporters get to see them first, get to enjoy them first, and then anyone else can go and buy them as they like. Uh, and we made some sales. I'm, you know, I put them up just more as a gallery function than as an actual like uh, hoping for sales. But uh, but we have sold a few, and I'm very happy about that too. Yeah, I think I think uh, the most recent one. This this most recent one. It's going to be a winner when it goes up. It's uh, yeah. I'm very proud of it's it. It's very good. I'm very proud of the last few have been have been really. I feel really. Yeah, I feel like they're very. Yeah, once we made once we made the store, you've decided to no. That is not accurate. Not accurate. Um, I I would say that more recently, I felt more inspired to yeah in general by the movies we've been watching uh, to make something out of them. Good, good. I'm glad. But as I said, that is over at Redbubble. To take a look at them, redbubble.com, search for Lost in Criterion, or go to patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion if you want to support us. Pat, this week we have a film uh, with one of my favorite Wikipedia sentences. 
Oh, okay. Uh, I did not know that's where this was going, but all right. It is called Fan Fan La Tulip. It's a 1952 French film. The introduction on, uh, the unsighted introduction on <laughs> Wikipedia says, Fan Fan La Tulip is a 1952 French comedy adventure film directed by Christian Jacques. It has also been categorized under swashbuckler films. <laughs> okay. And it's just, fra- it's phrased in a way that makes it seem like that's a questionable claim. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to guess. Okay, now I'm just going to go out on a limb and be like, perhaps, whoa, man, French Wikipedia is wild. Oh, no, never mind. Oh, yeah. I was like kind of hoping it might just be a, like somebody's like, I'm going to translate the French Wikipedia, which is much longer. Uh, but also no, the layout yes. is funky. Yeah, yeah. French film Wikipedia has a section uh, that uh, Google Translate calls "around the film," um, but it's infor- it's basically a trivia section. Yeah. Uh, but but every single one I've ever clicked through on has it, uh, and it's some very fascinating information that does not get onto the American Wikipedia page ever. It's because they don't. Uh, I guess the French. I guess there's no French IMDb. I guess, huh? Right. Maybe to put maybe bad that's trivia it. on. It's not actually trivia. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. It's uh, it's a very fun movie. It was very, very, very popular. I assume that the Wikipedia thing is that they have some sort of genre definition of swashbuckler that has to involve pirates, yeah, maybe or something I like wonder. that. Maybe like who knows? Um, I I just like the idea of somebody putting a needs references like Mark on that like right. also been categorized right, right, under right. swashbuckler films. It's very funny to yeah, me. Yeah, there's no actual citation needed Mark on it, but it is. Uh, I feel like it almost just like uh, it should almost a sp- spuriously worded sentence. That it's it has been categorized as a swash. We don't know what these I, people are I, thinking. I, I but. wonder why. Yeah, it is a weird sense. I wonder though, because like yeah. I'm looking at now, I'm on now I'm on Swashbuckler Wikipedia, and like <laughs> oh no, the, it definitely meets the like. I mean, it's in line with the other things on here. I mean, it it is patently a Swashbuckler film. Yeah, no, I know. I I'm think getting, there's no I'm, discussion I'm confusing here. Confusing myself now, like trying to justify right. why it would not be categorized as a Swashbuckler film. Is there just too much? Is this, just too many laughs? Is just too many goofs? Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's like that Twitter conversation. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, it's, uh, it happened this week, within the past couple of days to our recording. Uh, but uh, someone posted the question of whether or not Alien was a horror film. And I'm still not entirely sure that the question was a, wasn't itself a troll. Yeah. But they were the person who posted it was a, was a Guardian journalist or, or uh, a Guardian uh, feature writer, I think. Um so, so I don't know, but they they said they said is is Alien a horror? And it was a poll, yes or no. Uh, and then their response when questioned why they wouldn't think Alien, an obvious horror film, was not a horror film, uh, their response was, uh, horror can't take place in space, presumably because it makes it a sci-fi. Though they did not elaborate I mean, on that. Legi- legitimately, uh, <laughs> I mean, like being in all seriousness, there. Given the problematic nature of genre definitions, one right. could make that argument. Yeah, one could make that argument, and they'd be wrong, Pat, because genres should not be genre. So I, I'm not talking defined. about should be. I'm talking about the way our world actually functions, which is I know, I if know. it's not taking place in the present, in space, it is a sci-fi film, and that yes, and that indeed. definition, much like horror in the other direction, tends to consume all other underlying definitions right 
right. like right. horror does the exact same thing but in a different sort of way right like it, you know yeah it, it's just you know I, 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 right this is this is I suppose a war movie it is a love story uh, it is a swashbuckler film like right. everything about it is a swashbuckler film except that there uh, are no ships I guess well, well I mean uh, of course like Robin Hood and uh, and Zorro are both right, also right. listed under the Swashbuckler Films yeah. Wikipedia page. And they page, also don't have... Which is why yeah. I went there. Right. right. It's to confirm there were so, things anyway. other than pirates on there. Yeah. This is... This was an incredibly popular movie when it came out. Internationally popular movie when okay. it came out. It won the Best Director Award for Christian Jacques at Cannes. It won Berlin Silver Bear uh, in, in 1952. Uh it was so popular internationally that it sold uh, in 50 countries. Damn. Okay. Uh, then a record for a French production. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, it is the pinnacle, I suppose, of a sort of mass market French production post-war that is the exact thing that all of the Cahiers de Cinema guys hated. <laughs> And we're acting against, right? Uh, which is why you've never heard of it because they essentially suppressed. They essentially it erased enough. it from history, which is a fascinating thing yeah. to think about. Like, it, yeah, wow, well, we're gonna get it. This is gonna be. I did not expect this to be an interesting episode. Uh, I'm not right. gonna lie, because the movie's fine. Uh, the movie's fine. It's like not bad. It's also not like the most amazing movie I've ever seen before. It didn't change my life at all in either direction. Um, yeah, but like. It's really fascinating to think about that in those terms because they must have fucking hated this film. They, I don't know that they necessarily hated this film particularly. No, I mean like yeah, but they hated they hated the idea of films like right. this, um, so much that that Christian Jacques is essentially well. Uh, <laughs> there's a there's a uh, there's a paragraph in the essay accompanying this. Uh, which which starts the new wave succeeded so well that Christian Jacques' name is absent from many film encyclopedias, and you'd be hard pressed to find film buffs who know as much about his work or that of fellow new wave target Claude Autour or Claude Autant Lara, uh, who directed something called Devil in the Flesh and The Red and the Black. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> you'd be hard pressed to to find film right. buffs who know as much about his work. As they do about Romare or Jacques Rivette, right? Well, that's um, what that—that's kind of where I was going with this. Is that like, yeah? Imagine like a because like okay, where I was trying to go with this mentally for myself was like, think about it this way: like you when you when somebody says French film, you essentially probably a majority of at least people in America generate automatically a sort of sort of probably like not even French New Wave but like the after effect of French New Wave film in your mind right, you know what I mean right. like not even the actual New Wave but like the films that came a decade later or something that like by the time that like that became sort of almost a um, sort of like a um, a stand in word for like Europe like sort of boring European like <laughs> right, right, talk right. Cinema. Art yeah, art house talking yeah. cinema. Like, like, but like, and that's not necessarily a good reputation to, to sort of build, right? Like, to have actually right. built, but like, to essentially have erased 
mainstream French cinema from the collective consciousness of the world. <laughs> like, you know what I mean, though, right? Like, nobody thinks about this or even things in this vein, really, when you say, like, oh, it's a French film. Right. They don't imagine this, which would have, right. which, of course, probably made made more money, <laughs> was seen by many, <laughs> many more certainly people. Certainly than the earliest, yeah. And, like, and, and in reality, like, just has general, more, much more broad appeal, right? Well, I mean, right. I don't think we have box office numbers, but I would get, I would guess, even at even yeah. at the I height mean, of the French Revolution, it would be hard to believe that like it's right. going to outdo right. a very popular swashbuckling film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's interesting. You know, we we've seen French film outside of mm-hmm. you know the the new wave before, right? And we've seen French film dating to uh, you know the thirties, yes. the 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 well i don't the, count that because that, that essentially there's there's almost a dividing line that exists right, right. caused by some the liberté that, is that is, relevant. is a, a wonderful film but yes yeah there this i don't know i'll have to look into it but something seems to have happened in like the late 30s early 40s yeah, that, like, to really, really divided change the way uh, yeah the film uh, lineage there <laughs> yeah no um but we've also seen, you know, like Renoir's work from the early fifties, right, which right. is contemporary to this. You know, the the French Can Can and the the uh, what's the Master or um, the one that took place in like Brazil or whatnot. And um, right. and you know we've got of aristocracy of European aristocracy in Brazil, or uh, but but also the river around that time too. Um, so you know we've got we've got an idea of well no the river was. Probably much later, wasn't it? I don't remember, remember anymore. Anything. Yeah, I think it was, but I don't remember. I feel like the river. Uh, now that I say it, I feel like the river was. Uh, oh no, the river was 1951. Huh. Anyway, was um, it? That seems. Yeah. That seems too <laughs> very, early. Much, much earlier than than we would have expected the river. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, so the river came out the year be- right before this. <laughs> um, but the rest of that sort of block of Renoir that we watched. Because Criterion gave, and I think it was a box set. Criterion put it all in front of us right at the same time, even if it wasn't a box set. But, uh, but all coming out contemporaneously to to this. Um, so it's you know we are we have seen films like this, and you know there's a lot of sort of mid-century Frenchness. Yeah. You know, even even you know much more recently we watched the. The old fools movies that you know are are definitely a different artistic level of this, but the cinematographer of this shot every old fools movie that we I watched. Mean, I, yeah, I mean I, that makes sense from a lot of different perspectives, right? Like the, right. the cinematography in this is, is solid; like it 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 it, right. it works well. Uh, and and reality, like I mean, cinematographers, especially it seems like in France like at this time are just dudes with jobs like right, gotta, right you right, gotta right, you gotta up. keep making movies <laughs> like you're not gonna stop right. you're not gonna like take yeah i'm not, 10 I'm years not off. like faulting a guy for for making, yeah, well, I'm, making I mean, a massively he, popular movie yeah he did a really good right. job I, I'm, I'm saying that yeah. like they'll be in like all kinds of genres because like it's like in all yeah. kinds of films of all sorts of types because it's like well this is a day job essentially like you know what i mean it's yeah. like directors are this whole other animal 
within the movies we we watch, what, like especially as far as like the Criterion Collection is concerned. But like cinematographers, ninety percent of the time are just like dudes with day jobs right. who like, oh yeah, yeah, you want me to shoot your movie? Yeah, okay, yeah. I'll be there. And I mean the the best cinematographers, uh, the ones whose names we can know, um, are uh, are fantastic eyes themselves who work with directors to achieve a vision. Right. Um, right. Uh, Christian Matras is the name of the fellow here. And obviously, Ophuls had specific ideas that uh, Christian Jacques did not have. Right. Uh, as far as how a movie should be shot. Right. Um, so, you know, the cinematography is not bad here, but there's some great action sequences that are well shot. Yeah, right? I will you know? say that, like, not even the com- use of the use of shadow in this movie is actually yeah. very interesting at times too. There, are, there are some fun uh, action sequences. I will say that a couple times, for me personally, they drug on a bit long. Like they reached a sort of sat. So a couple times, like they reached a sort of saturation point for me of like, okay, like <laughs> I, I get it. Fair. We're sword fighting. Let's move forward. Right, right. The climax actually could have been a little bit shorter. <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> But yes, I get it. Um, yeah. Uh, another interesting thing about the popularity of this movie when it came out, an anecdote shared in the Criterion essay, which I, I found very interesting. Um, a name we've run across, I think, before, but but maybe not someone we're particularly familiar with. Uh, uh, Georges Sadao, who uh, was a 1950s French uh, Marxist theorist and film critic uh, in the same vein as a lot of other people we've, we've talked about whose names we probably know a little bit better, but Sadao is not someone I've read. Uh, but uh, he really loved this movie. Uh, and uh, to quote the essay, he wrote, of seeing the film at a screening in Paris, I arrived late and was lucky to find a free seat in the dark. From first scene to last, I kept laughing out loud. When the lights came up, someone said to me, Oh, it's you. I thought you were part of a clack the producer hired to help sell the movie. Someone (laughs) accused him of being a laugh track, essentially. Uh, And and then the reveal that the person who said that to him was Renee Claire, uh, (laughs) who was also at the show. Wow. Right? Everybody loved this movie. Yeah, People mean, went to see this movie and really enjoyed this movie. Uh, it got remade. Um, Penelope Cruz is in the remake. Uh, really? In uh, yeah, in two thousand three. What? <laughs> really? There was like yeah, uh, there was a colorized version that came so out. Bad. Uh, that there's a, a little five minute clip of from uh, on the Criterion DVD. Um, but yeah, you know this is. Uh, the story of Fanfan Le Tulip ultimately stems, I think, from an early 19th century uh, folk song. Okay, that would kind of, that so kind it, of that feels yeah. like a. So it been it been adapted before and into different things. This itself spawned a comic strip. That that makes sense. I'm actually surprised it didn't. Which go also the other makes direction. sense, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but. But yeah, people just really enjoyed this movie, and I gotta say, I didn't necessarily. I did. It's fine, like you said already. <laughs> Here's what I'll say: It's like I find 
I would also like to point out that apparently the remake was made by Luc Besson, which is a, a whole nother wild <laughs> thing to think about, but whatever. Right. Um, yeah. Um, <sighs> I just, I'm and trying to like imagine that, like, that like much, in my not mind. Not really surprising information either, but. <laughs> no, but in my mind, I was, I, my brain is permanently associates Besson with like Fifth Element and all those kind of things. And those like. Like weird of, sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I'm like, and then one of them. Does some weird, like, you know, like I'm trying to imagine like Penelope Cruz like transforming into some sort of space vampire or something. I was like, well, this is not gonna work. Uh, like in the middle of like one of these like fight scenes or something. Yeah. Um, but no, it, um, yeah, it's just, um, yeah, I mean, the movie wasn't bad. It's like, here's the thing though, I, I generally like these kinds of movies in a really base level, yeah. right? Like, yeah. I like swashbuckling movies i i enjoy i as a child especially enjoyed zorro quite a bit i watched it a lot um and those kind of things and i and like i've always really enjoyed those kind of stories and stuff this one didn't i and i don't know why exactly it didn't perfectly resonate with me um i think it's probably because honestly the story arc of it is a little bit too long and convoluted for this kind of movie? See, I was I was really thinking that maybe the issue is that it's a little too rapey. Well, okay. For... I was going to talk about that yeah. later. I was saving the okay. discussion of yeah. all of its like serious like <laughs> like flaws, flaws with regards to yeah. women and 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 consent and sexuality. <laughs> I was going to save that all for later cuz I figured that's the whole back half of this episode. Yeah, I was going to clear out like the dumb bullshit at the beginning, <laughs> and then move on yeah. to like what's probably well, the rest of the movie. Um, I I admire your dedication to a schedule, and <laughs> well, please carry on. Because like I know we'll get bogged down. Like that's going to consume right. the rest of the episode, okay? Because right, 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 there's right. a there's a lot of iffy uh, <laughs> understanding of consent in this movie. Um, right, right, so right, right. like uh, also the Wikipedia article itself seems to be uh, in collusion with it. I'm. <laughs> it's very weird. Um, yeah, a little bit. So I, but like, just if I if I were to strip all that stuff out, which would be hard because it would essentially make the movie eight minutes long. Um, <laughs> I found no because the fight sequences themselves are, are twelve minutes, thirty long, yeah. minutes. Yeah. I, I'm just like my issue becomes like kind of when you when you deal when you think about something like Zorro or Robin Hood or or any of those kinds of things. The plot is actually incredibly simple. Always, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and partially because, like, you don't want to like have to remember stuff while you're also watching sword fights. I guess is maybe right. for me or something. I don't know. Like, this really feels like five or six serials. Yeah, worth exactly. Of plot shoved into one, which is movie. why I yeah. was acted. Why I was kind of surprised when you told me that it became. A comic right. after because it yeah. feels like somebody took, you know, a run of a comic, one of those like one of these kinds of European comic books that that are in this sort of right, style right, right. and made it into a movie. And it was like and compressed, took out bits that like you know, oh well, you know, we gotta be we gotta fit this into an hour and forty minutes. We can't have this cut out these plot lines or whatever. Uh, is how it feels, and I mean, I I and it makes me wonder. What made it? What made it so popular? When there are movies at this time that are comparable in 
content and style, like things like Zorro I mean, exist in nineteen fifty in the nineteen like you know in this time period. Like they just Pat, do. not to not to jump ahead to what we've already said is coming. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Uh, I was wondering if we if we what, think that that's the, what made this movie so popular is uh, is lots of, uh, of sexual assault <laughs> jokes. Yeah, uh, Gina Lola Brigda uh, in particular. Uh, who, uh, you know, she's she's in a very low cut dress the entire time and keeps leaning forward. Uh, yeah, um, I think that probably goes a very long way to explain. I, yeah, because I was actually thinking like the jokes. Otherwise, it's a comedy. Are right, right. only okay at best. I really loved the introduction. I well, will yeah, say that. But the introduction, the intro. But the, here's the problem: we talked about this before. Uh, with with regards to ourselves, the intro <laughs> writes checks that the movie is not prepared to cash. <laughs> I suppose. Like, I suppose the movie starts, like, with some, like, I mean, they're comedic, but, like, yeah. there are some very definitive statements about the nature of, like, society and war couched in jokes. And then it's like, right. but you know what's really funny uh, kings want to <laughs> fuck like, like hardcore. Right? Like it's just it's all they think about all the time. Um, but then the movie. Okay, we're just gonna get into it, I guess. So let's just waste the rest of this podcast talking about that. Um, the the ending of the movie is the weirdest statement. Is essentially the weirdest thing that could possibly have happened. Yeah, <laughs> um, and and yeah. I can't I can't for myself derive a actual f- st- statement that the movie is making because because <laughs> the beginning of the okay. movie and the end of the movie essentially don't seem to exist in the same same universe as each other. Right, right, right. So there's this there's this underlying vein through much of the first aspect of the film that pops up later on too of of this war is all a con usually much more overtly than even you think when you hear that phrase yeah no i mean the movie just the like people are saying it as though they're not they're saying it throughout the movie as though they're not saying it like there's like right the the recruiter is only in it for the money and runs from any fight literally says uh, until the climax let let your let your king do your thinking for you is a statement he makes right. on the podium trying to recruit people as though as if that is a selling <laughs> right, point. Right. 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 The uh the initial selling of uh, and like he's got his daughter pretending to be Rom- uh, Romani uh so that she can be uh, a fortune teller to in- <laughs> to entice men into but joining the army. But it's not even like it's not for, even like for women in glory. Apparently, that's not the only scam too because Right, we go down right. a, a row of of so of new soldiers on that stage, and they each tell a different story in which she is involved, convincing them to join the right. army in a different way. One of them has right, been like right, promised right. to marry her, and like it's a bunch of like, it's just yeah. a bunch of different things, and it's like, what what is this? What's the plan here? What's our? I don't know. And it yeah. all revolves around and her, the, which is a which is a kind of an right. interesting like, yeah bit about and it and then the 
the war stuff itself is always presented in this weird, like almost bureaucratic way yeah, at times. Bureaucratic. Where the, king, where, where the king has like negotiated how many war dead there will be prior. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, and then and th- the Seven Years' War is framed as lasting seven war seven years because the French were so disinterested in fighting it. Uh, it's yeah. There's a lot of weird jabs. You know, yeah. they talk about France as as a magical place that used to exist. Um, well, and, and you know, and in the movie oscillates between that sort of like that that sort of war as a sort of function of of like a function of state in the same in the same environment as like making sure that like that you know like that like everybody's like sewage pipes work or something it's like oh it's a thing that we right, do right, like right, right. it just it fought we follow the rhythm we do the war um and then also has this like level of like extra level of just slapstick topped on top of it of like none right, of these people right. know their ass from a hole in the ground and like yeah, the uh, the ostensibly English uh, enemies in the war speak uh, audio reversed French uh, as their which language. just comes out as as the aforementioned uh, peanut yeah completely gibberish or pe- peanut peanuts uh, adults uh, <laughs> yeah uh, yeah and uh, and like the actual battlefield scenes on that where like the the uh, the enemy troops turn around because Fan Fan and his his people have have run behind the line unknowingly. Um, yeah, it's all very silly. Uh, so you know, there's the aspect of what this movie might be trying to say about war is is silly and it's a con, but also this movie isn't saying anything seriously. No, right? I mean, well, that's what um, I'm saying is that it starts off. We we have seen movies that try to make these points through absurdism and things like that before. Right, right, right. And like I feel like the movie starts down that road for a very brief period of time. And right. occasionally and in like, 52 you would again. expect that. Yeah. Right? In 52 you would expect that sort of thing. Right. Uh and you know, obviously we've seen the the Renoir stuff at the time that this came out, we felt was less poignant because post war he wasn't making those sorts of right. jabs at war, right? Um, and uh, yeah, it just in nineteen fifty two, I feel like you know we've seeing seeing post war film from Japan or from the Soviet Union, uh, they're still definitely talking about very seriously talking about war being bad right whereas a lot of the french stuff just feels like yeah forget it (laughs) it happened we're done yeah it's like well and 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 some of that like i don't know i'd have to get a more detailed like timeline like mentally on the french new wave but the french new wave doesn't in, in my mind and this could just be me like my own personal bias on this but like doesn't feel super interested in engaging with that kind of topic that much i mean some of the melville stuff eventually but like and and if that's that might be part of what like i you know if that's part of the driving force or if that's also just a response the same as like well yeah because it's like they list like 58 is when the french new wave starts so like it's too early but then that would mean that they're a byproduct of the same attitudes that are driving films like this which are like oh we're done we don't want to talk about this anymore 
Well, I mean, they're also obviously they are they are being purposefully revolutionary to films like this, right? Yeah, right, but this movie, but but part that's of the what thing, the right, new age is trying like, to do. If but. neither that mode of filmmaking or this like mass market mode of filmmaking are interested in engaging with a thing that happened less than a decade right, ago, right, right, that right. is super significant to the history of all the people you know. Yeah. That's a really funny. That's a I say funny in the not in the like haha sense, but like it's a very funny thing to happen for everybody. I, to do like, I will say, guys, we're just not doing it. I will say, I I do kind of get it for France. I'm just like not wanting to think about it for a while. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, but like, I mean, I, maybe ten years is a little long on that, but but I do get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but like, yeah, I get it, but like, I also don't believe it. You know, right, you know what I right, mean? Right, like. Right. I get it that no one wanted, and obviously you know we say no one, but but there were yeah you know, I know, and I know. I'm sure movies we've seen were doing it too, right? Uh, but but there's the active engagement with it, especially to make a movie set during a different historical war, um, and then just make it this fun uh, sex romp. Yeah, uh, well, is, and sex romp is yeah. being polite to what this is. All right. Right, right, right. I don't know. There is there is the fact that uh, Adeline's character does have agency. Yeah, right? no, I and um, I and one wouldn't disagree with that. Like in many ways, right? It is. It, we get we run into this a lot in this time period of film, and actually, kind of going forward, where like you get some sort of like slightly progressive elements to the way things are written. Go seem to go hand in hand with just like some of the worst shit on earth. Yeah, like it's real. I mean, I guess be. I guess the movie kind of like tries to buy its way out of that by being like, well, like nothing actually ever happened. Right, right. And then the and then the king at the end's like, ah, she's my adopted daughter. What does that mean about how he's treated his actual daughters? Um. Right. Well, there is. We don't want to think about that at all. Really. I mean, there's an aspect of this too that uh, Madame de Pompadour is not uh, positioned in this movie as uh, one of the king's mistresses, and also uh, Henrietta historically died uh, at least five years before this movie has to have taken place. Right. She died before the Seven Years' War. So, uh, so yeah, uh, there's some historical inaccuracy in this movie, I suppose. Um, well, I mean, that's not, yeah. not just for the sake of comedy, but, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Obviously, historical inaccuracy in a movie like this is expected because uh, we also have the hero who fends off an entire town's worth of, of men, uh, fends off an entire battalion of his own, uh, of his own army, uh, and then fends off all of the king's horses and all of the king's men as he tries to rescue right uh a woman he ostensibly does not love right um, uh, well i mean like it's yeah. that it is a cla- i mean like in that sense with regards to his feelings about uh about uh well, no, about Adeline is like that's that it's that is a classic like movie f- functional movie trope right, right? that like like he's He's this guy who's not going to admit his feelings about her and, like, he doesn't want to believe that he's, you know, in love with her. Right. Or it, like, 
it's that it's that like I mean it's essentially just the the dynamic between Luke and Leia and or not or not between between Han Solo and Leia and Star Wars and it happens a right, bit. Right, right, right. It's so common that we basically don't even like pay attention to it anymore. As yeah, a, as a but, story point. But to Star Wars credit, Leia does not pretend to be an ethnic minority in order to trick well, Han Solo into joining the rebellion. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, what the reason? <laughs> I would like to point out. Okay. Uh, I would like to point out uh, that that the one of the things that most most upset me in the last twenty thirty minutes was reading the Wikipedia Wikipedia page where it says at this vulnerable point in his life he is approached by the daughter of a recruiting officer <laughs> Adeline blah 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 but like at this vulnerable point in his life what the fuck are you talking about guy who wrote this the Wikipedia article his life. The shotgun wedding. Oh man, what a what a what weird a, sentence to write. Like I, like what is the person who wrote this page doing right now? Because that <laughs> is a weird sentence. Like that doesn't accurately reflect what happened in this movie at all. Yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a weird thing. Um. Oh, you you know, you were caught by the townspeople sleeping with one of their daughters in the haystacks. Uh, and got tried. They tried to force you into shotgun marriage, and that's this vulnerable point in your life. Yeah, your vulnerable point that you're running from being forced to marry a woman uh, who you uh, had sex with. Yeah, it's so weird. Uh, listen, you know, like okay, the the patriarchal society that would force him into that marriage is itself bad, of course, right? Uh, but. Uh, but to call that a vulnerable point. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. We don't use that phrase for situation. Right. Like, yeah. it, regardless of the, like, it's just, it's like, like a vulnerable point in your life is not how you describe what just happened. Like, it's just not. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's very, it's just very weird. I don't, and then she tells him this fortune about he's going to marry the king's daughter and like, there's this really weird dynamic in this movie where, like, I this movie is hyper racist against Romani. Like, it just is. Uh, it like it, it, it both <sighs> it both frames like all the characters like semi engaged with the idea of fortune telling as though it's real, but like, it's very, it's very strange. Everybody believes in it. When, even when the person who gave the fortune says, no, I was lying. And he's like, yeah, but I'm going to make it come true anyway. Yeah. It's, it's really weird. And then like, but also, but also all of the, all of the fortune tellers are con artists too. Right. Cause the second fortune teller that gives her the fortune that makes her think that her and fan fan are going to, be together was also uh the other uh the other army official trying to pay off the fortune teller to right to which, give her a fortune which, that would make her fall in love with him which sort right? of escalates the, the the aforementioned bigotry right because it's like <laughs> right right it, right. it like paints that like it pre it paints a picture of the world where there's no real such thing as a certain, you know, the Romani as an ethnic group doesn't exist. It's all just a bunch of grifters who are, you know what right. I mean? Like, it's a very weird, it's it's very weird. It is a very, it's, on its sort of subtext is a very uncomfortable whole chunk of the movie. Yeah. I mean, there is, there is an aspect that 
it it does not make any of this more forgivable. But I think there might be an aspect of the use of the term gypsy as like a a catch-all for a fortune teller instead of particularly a Romani fortune teller. But uh well, I want yeah. you know anyway. we we always run into the possibility that our our translations are not super great. Like I don't I right, don't I don't right, ever right, pay attention right. to the French at all. Like I have no idea what yeah. they were saying actually. Uh, either and if that's the case, then the person who is writing the subtitles also needs to re-examine their. Uh, well, I mean, I, I I I will say that colloquial worse of uh, use of that word. Uh, probably existed in France. I'm sure at the but, time but, of but, of this production too. So, so it wouldn't surprise me if the script actually says that. But whether or not the script meant a a Romani person or you know, and it's a derogatory term for a Romani person anyway. So like, you know, but well, uh, my, my but it, whether or not right, I know what yeah. you're saying. But my issue whether is they, that there's also a certain amount of like choice of garb for the character and other right. things that are meant right, to, right, right. They're Listen, meant to give the audience a very specific impression. Adeline is meant to be Romani. Right. She is meant to be presenting as right. Romani. Right. Um, she obviously is not meant to be Romani. She. Eh, that's not the plot of the movie. The other fortune teller, I don't know if she is meant to be Romani. I'd have to, to rewatch. Romani. I kind of felt she was also in any, costumed in a way yeah. to give us specific ideas. Right. But. But, but whether or not she's costumed or explicitly stated as right. uh, Romani... And and again, there's this nebulous region. Like, it is obviously bad to use that term as a broad covering of 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 people, or or to stereotypically uh, use uh, you know to use uh, a derogatory term for a people group uh, as a as an insult to say you are not a member of this group but you are acting as if i expect a member of this group to act is is also bad in a different way right and it's still racist Uh, so um yeah uh in any case whatever the movie means by the term gypsy the term gypsy is a bad term that you shouldn't use um and this movie is definitely racist against Romani people. Well, and, and uh, I think whatever, it, it, whatever the movie actually means by its use of right, the word gypsy, I mean, it, the movie is racist against Romani people separate from that. And that is racist against Romani people right. as well. Yeah, so. it, it's one of those things where like it's sort of like and like I definitely have gone through this with this, especially with this particular topic. Like, right. This is one of the like these is just one of those like whole society. Like it's in the movie probably without anybody who had anything to do with it even once thinking about it. Right. You know right, what I mean? Right. Like they never Absolutely. even it never like it literally was not even a glimmer in anybody's eye to consider. Right. And that's an upsetting yeah. thing to be true. But Yeah. You know. Yeah. And you know, the the stereotypical fortune teller is always always uh I cannot think of a single instance of a stereotypical fortune teller who is not a Romani not not outside not as, within as a, not within European yeah. culture no like you get you'll get other right, kinds right. of fortune tellers in other cultures but of that's, course that's, of course that's of all course. you ever you'll yes. never get it in European culture and the thing about it is yeah. it's like it extends far far beyond this movie and far far into the future right like I'm <laughs> right, just thinking about right, every right, Disney right, movie right. you've ever seen where somebody tells a fortune right. and it's always the exact same shtick it's yeah 
this movie has issues, right? And and the king is is a is a fucking creep. <laughs> the king's a creep, right? Right. Which, but, but that's the thing. Like our hero is a lovable rogue who is also a creep. Yeah. Well, that's and that's the issue. The right? villain yeah. is a hypocr- a hypocritical king who is also so a, creep. a creep. Yeah, they're both creeps. Uh, <laughs> it's creeps all the way down, yeah. man. Um, right. We're supposed to like one of them and not like one of them, and then we're supposed to, I guess, have a like. He has whatever the opposite of a heel turn is at the end, and we're supposed to also like that one too. I don't. I, yes, a face turn, but yes. Um, I'm not up on my yeah, terminology. I guess. Yeah, heel and face are the opposites. Anyway, uh, but yeah, yeah, the king, the king has a, a weird face turn, uh, and declares that yeah, declares that Adeline was his adopted daughter ideologically the entire time, so that. So that the uh, fortune is coming true, right? And Fan Fan is now marrying yeah. one of the king's daughters. Like, um, which, which is like yeah. somehow the movie wants us to be invested in this fortune, which we are just. I personally, as an right, audience right. member, am not. I don't yeah. care. Like, as a hinge point for the way your movie functions, it's unnecessary and it's making it worse. Like in reality, I mean, I'm what I'm trying to deal with mentally is. Basically, what the movie is telling us is, like, so the king really, like, I don't even want to have this conversation in this podcast because it's like, oh, this is my adopted daughter. Yeah, that woman I've been chasing the entire movie who I yeah. who I definitely, definitely Listen, wanted to have sex with. Yeah, this is my adopted daughter. Whatever else this movie might be saying about French society, certainly a mid-20th century uh French society is fine with saying the kings were bad. No, yeah, uh, and, and that's so, fine. And I'm not going to argue yeah. against that. The, right. Our problem is, is that our hero is not any better. Right, um, right, right, right. But like, also, uh, oh wait, no, I've I've lost. It. I forgot what I was going to say. Never mind. It's fine. Like I was just thinking about like kings and and oh, uh, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Okay, okay. I was going <laughs> to. I was no, gonna, no. I was gonna make a, uh, like a, it's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm not gonna talk about it. Anymore. Okay, then, then stop. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> okay. I keep like almost committing to saying something, and then I'm not. Gonna... Yeah, um, yeah. So like, yes, the king is bad, and and war is a con, but also it's the French are definitely involved with international conflicts in in the time period that this oh, movie yeah, is for, put out. Yeah, for so, sure they are. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, obviously, it would ramp up later, uh, or rather opposition to it would ramp up later uh, as we move into the 60s, particularly the late 60s. Uh, but, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know how involved French are in various conflicts uh through the fifties, like uh, well, keep in mind that it, it would not surprise me if the French were involved with the uh, what the Americans term the Korean War, uh, but uh, but I don't actually know. So well, like, anyway, keep in mind, like keep in mind that no matter what you want to say, regardless, France is definitely in Vietnam, right? Doing right, bad right. stuff in nineteen fifty two. Literally the first yes. war, the first bat, like literally the bat, like literally the first battle of the French Indochina War, the first Indochina War w- took place in 1952. There you go. Like yeah, and then they're they're also down and they're they're still they still have doing a bunch of bad shit in Africa. Like it's not. Oh certainly. Like right. 
you know, it's just it's worth yeah. noting that like there is no world where the French are not doing right. colonialism at any time in any movie we've ever watched. Right, right. French and while history. the Algerian Revolution maybe hasn't started yet, uh, it's not. It's because Algeria is still under firm. Exactly. Like, at this yeah. Point. Like right. even if we're not talking about yeah. actual war, they're still they're still right. Like trying to be like, well, you know, they haven't actually started yeah. fighting yet because we're still totally oppressing, uh, right. is a is right. a weird place to be, right? <laughs> right. I guess there's that too. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, it's again, this is a movie that very much does not want to say anything like that. No, I which know. you know, obviously. It, if you've heard more than one episode of our podcast, you know that that is not how we engage with creative work. So, well, it's basically, uh, it's it's kind of, yeah, I don't, well, I think because the, the, conver- is- the conversation to have when you, when you find a piece of work that is, that is trying to not be that commentary, right. the conversation is to have is to, why isn't it trying right. to be that commentary? Well, and, that, and right. that's, yeah, what we're like, that's kind of where my mind keeps going because right. like you don't kind of. I have developed, I think probably both of us, but I developed a personal rule. It's like, you don't get to make a movie about war after 1950, especially after World War II, and then, like, not make it a, like, you can do it. Lots of people do it, and they've all did a bad thing. You know what I mean? You all make, like, if you make a movie, where you talk about war, but you don't explicitly deal with what war is, and, right. and try to re- and try to reckon with it. Even if you're making a comedy, like if you're making a comedy about war, you sure as shit be should be trying to reckon with it because, right. like, that's that's the that's prime material. That's exactly where you should be doing it because yeah. you get to be more flippant right. and, and more are- aggressive than anybody else can be. Right, and that is why war comedies exist. Right, to say to say those sorts of things. Right, um, yeah. So, whatever. I mean, <laughs> this movie does take some shots at war, and that's fine. Uh, they're not largely good because, again, it's like bureaucracy, and the leaders are all idiots. Uh, but also, on the flip side, while the leaders are all idiots, the rank and file still are heroic individuals who. Uh, who better their lives through through violence, right? Right. Uh, which is, uh, you know, the the flip side. You know, that's what the Americanization of Emily was explicitly trying to <laughs> trying to say too. Was was no, the rank, there is no, there is absolutely no dignity in it, and we do a disservice by pretending like right. there's any dignity in it. Um. But yeah, uh, of course in the end of the Americanization of Emily, and we talked about this on a bonus episode. If you want to go over to patreon.com slash lost on criteria, you can just hear that episode for just a dollar. Uh, but, uh, but the Americanization of Emily also ends with Garner's character uh, surviving and therefore becoming heroic and getting, right. getting the girl, uh, though the girl herself also knows, no, this is all bullshit. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, uh, to that regard, I think it's actually, somewhat interesting in that the the relationship that ends this movie of of Adeline and Fanfan coming together 
theoretically, at least, uh, though, though to French society, certainly not necessarily, but theoretically at least, ends Fonfon's uh, womanizing and also ends Adeline's racist portrayal of an ethnic stereotype in order to trick people into joining a yeah, but joining all, a war. Also, keep in okay. So, but then we have to dig a little bit deeper than that. Which, first of all, <laughs> I guess. we all know that it, we all know that regarding what we've seen in French storytelling this has zero effect on fan fan whatsoever <laughs> right, right right uh we right. we all know we've all seen enough movies we all know whatever that's fair but also there's definitely a judgment throughout this movie of adeline as a woman because because of the way she is regarded in the film her we we get this like um I, this is like what a we. I don't want to have. Can we just not talk about this movie? I don't want to talk about it anymore. Um, <laughs> I will. Okay. I to engage in the ideas you're presenting. There are there are other female characters here. Not a lot of them, uh, and very few of them interact with Adeline. Um. So there is that regard, but but the one who sort of is peripheral to Adeline and could comment on Adeline doesn't, uh, and that's uh, Madame Tranche Montaigne. The the um the wife of the the prison guard right. at the camp who who joins up with with Van Van for his big adventure and and has the eight kids constantly following him around which is a really great comedy piece too it's uh, one of the best yeah i mean like there are some funny yeah. parts that are actually legitimately yeah. funny it's worth noting right um so you know she she says nothing judgmental about Adeline i suppose and everybody else is you know they well i think okay like, they go ahead. Sorry. They imply they say things about her that in a different context would be insults, but here it is not only true but she owns it. So like like when they apply she'll slept with everyone in the camp, no one actually takes that as a, an attack on her character. Right. right. Well, right. We But that's where it gets complicated, right? Because <laughs> it's still like the, it's the movie is more generally like like passing judgment right on yeah like adeline is meant to essentially be to appear like that kind of character but actually be seek like kind of in her internality very chaste in the sense that like right. you know she refuses the king's right. advances and all these things but that's how she refuses all the advances of every everyone day. we yes, see exactly and, Come to her, and, right? But the problem with that is, is that 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 sends a very specific message right. to the audience, not not to the characters in the movie. To the characters in the movie, right. the movie, the no. characters in the movie exist on the same plane as Adeline as a character. Like they engage with her as a character. The same, with like we can't really talk about that. But to the audience of the film, it's sending a very specific message, where the movie wants to both have a character who is being like portrayed by the film as being very promiscuous and 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 that sort of stuff but then is actually very uh chaste and doesn't and doesn't engage right, in any right, sort of right. sexual acts at all is a really specific message to send to your audience about your female lead right like you're you're telling your audience that like the these these things that she is that that she is outwardly being portrayed as are bad. 
and the things she's doing internally are good. You know what I mean? Like, right. Which is a very, like, which is a very 1952 message to be broadcasting out there. Right. And then by the end of the movie, what we've what they've done is, well, now he's made her a honest woman where the outward and the inward are in a line with each other. Right. Right. And she no longer has that conflict of morals where her outward portrayal is very promiscuous and her inward self is very chaste. And I, I think that is all accurate. I think that is all a good summarization of of sort of the meta commentary of what we're seeing. But I also think it's interesting that the movie itself, uh, that that none of the characters within the movie seem to pass that judgment on her. That's all. Yeah, yeah that is true. You you are <laughs> right. And like, but that just that makes for me. No one that just makes the message the, more complicated and confusing. Yeah. Not her father, not any of the people who are in love with her. No one is mad at her for their perception of her being at least a flirt, right? Right. Uh, and no one tries to punish her for that. But right? I will also... Uh, with the exception of the king who makes bad assumptions of what's going on, and she slaps him, and that lends to the third act conflict. Right. Uh, but even in the end... He is unrealistically <laughs> okay with everything that just right. happened. Uh, I mean, yeah. but but the thing is, is like that also. Keep in mind, though, also that that is also another trope of this era of comedy films. Anyway, is like a flirtatious female lead who is used as a like a sort of nexus of jokes, not necessarily attacking her, but like as a part of the sort of comedy, like, comedy scape right. of the movie. Like, there's plenty, of, I, I have seen plenty of 50s and uh, movies where the female lead is flirtatious and the the male leads ignore that because that's just part of the comedy landscape rather than being part of, like, it's meant to code as funny. It, like, right. like, which is another sort of inherent indignity, right? Like, it's not, and, and you know, it, it it's different because this isn't the kind of movie where they would say this character is bad. This movie doesn't declare right. any characters bad. Right, right. No right. character archetype but in this movie is a even I, our villain is is bad in what airports. I what I mean to say is that it is it is perhaps something. That the movie doesn't cl- declare any of them bad, right? Right. Um, but it is also the sort of comedy it is that, yeah, that uh, that no one here is bad per se. Um, so yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm just I, I, I'm just you know trying to work through it. Like it's just I've just definitely seen movies that work this right. way, and it's not like an especially new or interesting thing to do where it's like. Oh, the audience will laugh at her being flirty too. Right. The same as they laugh at Fan Fan being a rogue. Like it'll be a funny personality thing. But then it also can't be her true self because that would be bad. Y- you know what I mean? Like yeah. that would stop being funny and then now that would be bad. Whereas Fan Fan 
has a different arc that is also associated with this kind of film, right? Where he is roguish on the outside, but with a good heart, right? Like that's always the sort of right. He actually does love her. That that whole thing that shows up all the time in these kind of movies as well. Right. Uh, it's very paint by numbers in terms of like the character archetypes. Yes, obviously. I mean, it's uh, an archetype sort of movie, right? It's broad. It's very broad. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, the guy who plays Fan Fan, mm-hmm. uh, Gerard Philippe, um, was also the Count in La Ronde. Okay. So, we've seen yeah. him before. Okay, yeah. Uh, I don't know that we've uh, we've seen... You know, a lot of the rest of these people are sort of just, uh, you know, French workhorse character actors. Yeah, so I mean, I, no doubt they've shown up in other things. Uh, Gina, um, who plays Adeline, uh, had sort of a friendly rivalry with Sophia Loren. Okay. Uh, that that you can look at her and assume. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I understand. Uh, yeah. She, uh, she would go, she started making American movies just after this. Oh, okay. Um, and never really had the success uh, of always always lived in Loren's shadow. It feels like, um, though there are certainly people who I'm sure like. like I mean, her I've definitely um, seen her but, before somewhere yeah. in something. I'm, right, right. Her right, face right. is just so, in, <laughs> and not just because I'm getting her confused. Like her face is pretty familiar, so I'm sure I've seen something. Right. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if we've seen her in Italian film already. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm looking through. I can't. I can't figure out what it is. But like, who knows? You never know. Like, it could have been like a TMC like bumper between movies or something like that. Who knows? You know <laughs> right, I mean? like, right, right. The number of faces I probably saw like with that kind of stuff is. She did star in a movie called The World's Most Beautiful Woman. Well, I mean, it has to be true if it's in the title of a movie. Uh, she was Esmeralda in the uh, 1956 French Hunchback of Notre Dame uh, that starred Anthony Quinn as Quasimodo, if I remember correctly. Uh, oh, okay. I think I know where I saw her. Okay, yeah. that's fine. No, Which, yeah. I'm saying you may have seen that at yeah. some point in your life, but uh, unsurprisingly, she uh, seems to play a lot of Romanis. Uh, she is... Uh, She's Italian. I don't know that she is a Romani descent herself. Uh, obviously, whatever her ethnic background, she is playing a woman pretending to be Romani right. in this movie. So, uh, yeah, uh, all of that's still bad. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I'm 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 scrolling through, and and I don't know. I I may have at some point seen Hotel Paradiso, but like I, it sounds very familiar. Yeah. I think you might be thinking of Cinema Paradiso. No, which is, uh, I, yeah, I am aware. Movie, but I, I feel like we'll see. I'm not sure. I am aware of. <laughs> anyway. both, I'm aware of both of these things existing. Is the thing. Yes, but I feel like that's a thing that I saw on TMC. Is basically what I'm saying. <laughs> but it could be anything. There's a lot of stuff on here that could have just been a thing I watched on TMC one time. The uh, the screenwriter for this, I think, also had uh, some some connection to other movies we've. Uh, We've seen. Uh, he also wrote Pepe Le Moco. Oh, okay. Um, and and uh, Carne's Hotel de Nord, which I don't know if we'll watch for the collection, but but yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you know, <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of involvement here with other 
well, other movies we've seen that sort of maybe explain the popularity of this particularly. But but again, I think the popularity is uh, a beautiful woman's cleavage. Well, uh, I mean, I'm sure it's a combination, right? Like, it's the same thing that sort of, like, drives... Listen, uh, you can have a sexy woman in sexy clothing in a bad movie that people still recognize as a bad movie and doesn't catch on. Right, so. but if you combine that with, like modestly okay action sequences and like funny right. bits like right. it makes sense right like it just it yeah. all makes sense and i i think the set piece of a lot of the action stuff is is really fun um and apparently uh apparently our male lead uh insisted on doing his own stunts uh for much of this so there's that i mean there's not a lot of yeah, super I mean, it's stunts, not the most sword stunt fighting. Sword fighting is not exactly not dangerous because you are using, you know, even if they're blunted, you're still using actual swords here. Yeah. And he got slashed on the forehead and stabbed in the arm over the course He's of dead. Uh, no. the movie. It killed him. Exactly. He, killed him. Uh, uh, actually, he did. He died fairly quickly after this oh, movie. No. Not related to anything sustained from well, okay, this movie. Okay. Well, like, uh, let's not make me feel but, bad. Like, oh, yeah, I know this yeah. movie. This was the end of He it. was 30. He was 30 when this movie made and was made. He died at the age of 37 of uh, liver cancer. Oof. Actually, you know, no, wholly unrelated, but not a great way to go, especially. <laughs> well, yeah, I would assume that, that this movie did not give him yeah. liver cancer, but. Probably. I don't know. Uh, I don't want to make any definitive <laughs> statements. It depends on how realistic that uh, that gunpowder's uh, stunt was. Maybe. Maybe he, uh, right. maybe he took a shot to the river, a liver that caused something. Uh, no, um, but yeah, no, no, the whole like the gunpowder thing. It's a, it's a, it's a great little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, there's and, a lot you know, of like some of the good little bits. Some of the movie. sword fightings like sped up in a dumb way, but but not all of it. And some of it's presented much more straightforwardly. Like we've already said, the whole the attack on the convent could have been shorter. It's. <laughs> It's really, it's much too long. Yeah. Uh, particularly in just the way it moves from the end of that fight to the presentation. I guess maybe we're meant to assume that the king is about to order their execution as they march up, but I never got the feeling of that no, in that last scene. I don't uh, think, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's it's kind of to a certain extent falls apart because I'm not a hundred percent sure like what an actual audience member at the time would would have thought. Yeah. yeah. Would have thought about that. Cause I imagine like, to, I mean, obviously since it played worldwide, like it's, we, we can kind of, we can sort of kind of get a right. feel for like what, you know, maybe an American audience would have thought about it. But, yeah. um, I don't know about what, like a French audience at the time would have thought a king would do, or you know, like it's it's hard to know, right? Right, right. And it's it's you know t- these sort of swashbuckler comedies are something that I associate with like children's movies, and yeah. like there's just way too much sex in this movie for it for that. Uh, but maybe you know culturally a different well, time. Well, yeah, I uh, mean something for everyone, I guess. Like uh, but- some like various iterations of these like. Various sort of like not iterations, but like various sort of like Zorro adjacent things are right, right, kind of sexy, right? And maybe, because like, and maybe there is, maybe there is really something for everyone here because like Gerard Philippe is is not an unattractive man. Uh, no, but I would say that like if you deal with something like Zorro or even some versions of Robin Hood, they make him, 
they do tend to make that lead male actor a little bit more attractive. Like they don't seem to go out of their way right, to make right. him seem like super, uh, like it, like um, sort of like you know attractive, right? Like you know, you yeah, you would expect a little bit better costuming if the goal was to really make him like a sex symbol for this movie. His costume is know. only Some okay. Some of those characters become accidental sex symbols. Like, uh, you know, there's there's nothing in the costuming of uh, animated Fox Robin Hood. Uh, well, yeah, people, okay. I'm not going to talk uh... about the sexual awakening of a huge <laughs> swath of, of of children born uh, born in certain eras of the. Uh, but like, what I'm talking about is like, there's something. There is something inherently kind of sexy about Zorro, right? Because right, it's right, a, it's right, an all black right. costume. There's a mysteriousness. There's a mask. There's a lot of things that like are not meant to be like sexy sexy but are meant to sort of as a part of making a mysterious character you you inherently also add a certain level of like for a certain group of people will be somewhat sexually engaging right 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 like, whereas this character we like there's not any mystery to our main male lead here yeah. it's not like well i think secretly anything else I think that's another aspect of the lasting power of this narrative, though. And, and you know, there's there's certainly what we've already talked about with the French New Wave directors just not liking the work of this guy. But, you know, Robin Hood has lasting power because it's also a uh, uh, a class war. And Zorro, right. to a right. certain extent, is yeah. about a class traitor who is uh, who is undermining oppression and raising up the the lower classes. Right. Uh this guy's just kind of in it for himself. Right, and, that's uh, true. And while he is while he is uh giving a take that to the hierarchical powers that be, uh it is also only for his own benefit. Right. And also we have no setup turn. for him. We like don't know who he right, is. Right. In the grand scheme of things, like we like for both of the t- two characters you you described in narrative, we always find out why they're doing what they're doing, and right. and like what their motivations are, and like the sort of explanation for why they feel a need to tear down the system, you know, right. what I mean? or or at least to like attack the system. Here, we just got this guy that we meet, sort of apropos of nothing, and then we don't ever yeah. really he- learn anything about him. As a person, he is never out to tear down the system, and even when the system is clearly against him and a detriment to his loved ones, it is still about just removing his loved ones from that. Right. Right. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. No. Not, totally. Yeah. You know, none of this. He he doesn't foment a coup. Uh, no. No. To... No. Uh, yeah. No. I. Yeah. But which makes it just. It's just not. It's not actually. Right in the same field as those kind of stories, but it's sort of visually playing in the same space. Right, right. And, you know, a lot of the Musketeer stuff plays like this, and and certainly I'd consider the Musketeer stuff swashbuckling, too. Right, I that's true. Again, well, I don't know. Again, There's no boats. To, I, don't, I don't... There's no boats. I, I think you'll find, if you read all of the Three Musketeer stuff, there probably are eventually you some You can't make me... <laughs> Uh, I won't even try. You're not my boss, uh, and I will never do it. <laughs> I have so but, little interest in the Three Musketeers. Yeah, I can't even describe it. The surface level politics of the Three Musketeers is like protecting the true legitimate uh, monarchy from uh, 
from usurped power. Which, uh, keep in which mind, is, is also a thing in, in Robin Hood, too. It's, you know. <laughs> right, right. Right, there is that aspect in Robin Hood, too. I mean, the difference yeah. is, like, you know, I don't, I am not very well versed in the mes- the in the Musketeers, like, at all. Uh, <laughs> right. I, it's just not a story I've ever had any interest in. Uh, but, yeah. you know, Robin Hood is always <laughs> that problematic is... in that way. That, that I mean, there's probably an aspect of Zorro that is also that. Oh, of, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't. I I engage with Zoro as a as a child who right, understands right. now as an adult what like some of the extra elements that were involved in that were. Right. Uh, I mean, I watched I watched a lot of Disney Channel uh, black <laughs> yes. and white reruns of the Zoro TV show. You know what I mean? Like it's not yeah, it's not like I was heavily engaged in the class politics of Zoro when I was six. <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, this is a movie that has zero class politics. I guess. Yeah, is I mean, what I'm it, it, yeah, it just doesn't. It, it's it doesn't even have the amount like those examples we just named are not even that intensely interested in class politics, and it doesn't even have that. Right. Like the only the only poor people in this movie are uh, what the the townspeople whose whose daughter he well I mean normally maybe he is too that's the problem is that like the movie well, doesn't yeah, want to tell you about any of that we don't know anything about any of our like certainly the people in the army are not rich right like right, the entire right. concept people... of a conscript army is not like oh well we went around and gathered up all the rich people and make them fight. Right, like, right. They're all poor people, and that's that's certainly something explicit here. And the and you know recruiters tricking people into joining the army because of uh, the promise of financial gain uh, is something that still very much well, happens in America and, today. And that's all so, the movie actually needed, right? Like every, you could have right. literally because that's all you you didn't adding the whole extra layer. I mean, obviously advances the plot and all that, but like on a like sheer like discussion basis, like all you actually need is. Oh, all these people were poor, and the army promised to pay them to right. like go kill and be killed. Like that's all you really actually needed in, <laughs> to set things in the right. motion as right. far as that's concerned. Yeah, right. Oh, uh, that's fair. I mean, because there's also uh, been a war on forever, so I'm sure like nobody is doing well. Like uh, within outside of the upper class, right? Like wars are not generally good for even the people who aren't fighting in wars so you know right 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 yeah anyway it's uh it's all very silly is all it is and you know maybe maybe we have reached the point where where our podcast cannot engage with something that is just silly well (laughs) without without trying to be uh be silly for for a reason um, and you know, you know, like the uh, the Tati stuff is very silly, very funny, but, but it's I, still. And I don't ever expect Tati something. stuff to like engage with the war either. Right, right, right. Also true. If Tati made a war movie, I'd I'd have different right. opinions That's about Tati. That's what I'm Tati, saying. Is like no doubt. You, when you <laughs> and I really feel partially that like part of what set things in motion in a direction I am talking about it. Is even more beyond because like you can make a period right. piece that takes place in the war and like 
have it be like about people who are only kind of like peripherally engaged with it. I might let it slide. I I can. We've definitely done yeah. it before where we just decide to not deal with that because we're just like, oh, I don't want to talk about it today. Yeah, um, and that's where this movie really fails on the war front for me. Ha, huh, on the war front, um, is that uh, <laughs> what it what it does do is reinforce a lot of bad stereotypes about masculinity. Yeah, at every turn. So. You know, that's that's where absolutely I'm yeah. It, I mean, it definitely does do that, right? Like, yeah, and 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 really reinforces them, and then and then especially like coding them, like like all these sort of like lovable rogue films, codes them right. all as like positive traits that like right. the audience right. should right. want to have. Like, it's yeah, yeah, and like, I mean, a Musketeers movie, someone would have killed that king. So there's that too. I'm, well, and that—that's a whole <laughs> other thing. That, that is that, like, yeah, even like killing bad kings even exists outside of like heavily class politics oriented like films, right? right? right. It's like, oh, he's a bad king. Yeah, that's what do we do with bad kings at the end of movies, especially if it's a French movie? Right, right. Like, right. what do we do with bad kings? Class, we, you know, yeah. So, um. Uh, but hey, whatever. I guess I, maybe that's what the movie's really trying to do is like subvert the bad king narrative. Like, actually, bad kings <laughs> are good kings, and they're just misunderstood. They all just wanted to have lots of adopted daughters. Uh, right. I don't know. Well, he was. He was to be fair, and I don't know that this was sarcastically. He was lone as as Louis the Beloved. Uh, I also don't know if that was during his lifetime, and, and it might just be. It might just be comparatively to the very next king, right? Because people really hated Louis the Sixteenth, right? And um, I, I personally never buy it. I never buy it. Like any time right. a ruler has a positive nickname, like who did you have to kill to get that nickname? Hmm? Who ended up? Who ended up in a jail or a dungeon to make sure that that name stuck? Right, right, right. Like I don't. I never believe it. No, because like just look at just look at like American presidents, man. Like oh, absolutely. Like the ones that we like also sucked real bad. <laughs> right. I w- I would I will definitively say by the way that at some point in my life, based on staring at the Google Images search results that I pulled up a little while ago. I definitely have at least seen some part of Hope Tell appear parody so on TMC. Sure, uh, I'm right. just staring right. at screenshots and I'm like, I've seen this movie before. Not all yeah. of it, certainly, because I would have lost interest in it. I guarantee you. But, and I've never seen that cinema parody so at all. Yeah, but I, think I keep we assuming will that cinema parody podcast. I'm no, sure. we won't. I really? keep assuming that it's in the. Yeah, I keep assuming that cinema paradiso is in the Criterion Collection because it feels like it should be. But we've had this conversation before. It's not. Uh, Why don't we just make it? Can we just fact, make it a list, please, and we can watch it? I and put it like we've. Seen I it. put it on a. I put it on a bonus list once. Oh, and they rejected uh, it. And they voted for something else. I can't remember what it was. Kazam, it was wasn't or, it? Or, I wasn't a Kazam list. <laughs> I don't Kazam think it was one. a Kazam one. There's apparently also a thing called Guest House Paradiso, which appears to be some. It just shows up if you type in the word Paradiso. A lot of like on a lot of Paradisios in the world. Yeah, but this yeah, one's got uh, a guy turns, doing like turn, weird finger hooks into another guy's nose. It's really starting to upset me. 
but it's like jumbled <laughs> in. Any okay. if you search for any like something Paradiso in Google, you get some of that. It's like they really infected the search results. Uh, there was an assassination attempt on on Louis the Beloved. As per my question previously stated, who ended up in a dungeon to make sure he got that nickname? Uh, a, a quote, demented man attempted to stab oh, him with a small I'm knife. I'm sure this man was very demented. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> Wikipedia, at least, does not explore uh, <laughs> the uh, the murderer's motivations. Yeah, it does not explore the possibility that this person uh, had may, good reason. It may have had, had reasons, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it seems just scrolling through Louis the Fifteenth Wikipedia, it seems like there were probably some really good reasons to kill him on a lot of a lot of different ends. Yeah, I mean there so, always are. Like, I mean, yeah, kings. I mean, not. Of all I sorts. mean, just just beyond the idea that he is a king. I know, but, uh, but they, what I'm saying is like they also always have something. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, I I also understand that just the nature of being a king also just puts you on that list. But like, also yeah. they always also have something. Yeah. Anyway, uh, God, well, I've seen I think a we lot probably... of pictures of people with nose hooks now because of this stupid movie. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Just stop looking. I can't. Uh, it's what's up on the screen now. I have to go back. To you that. know, actually, no. That 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 segues to another interesting aspect where I, I don't feel like this is a swashbuckling film. There's no one with a hook for a hand in it. I don't think that's a necessity. Oh, it's absolutely. Did any that's, characters? That's why Robin Hood's not a swashbuckling film. That's why. There's like I, I four swashbucklers. Some iterations of Zorro. In in some iteration of Zorro, there's somebody with a with oh a hook for, for a hand, sure. So. I'm sure. Uh. I mean, you know, I I think what we should spend a lot of time doing, and this can become the new mode of this podcast, is hyper defining genres. We can just really <laughs> no. spend a lot of time engaging with the idea that the, that genres have very specific, rigid definitions. And thus, need we need more genres to be created to encompass oh, all okay. the possible iterations of these. Right. Because swashbuckling clearly right. doesn't so, cover this movie, but something has to cover this movie. Because frankly, it, p- historic comedy is just not good enough. Yeah. So while while a horror film can't take place in space, and a sci-fi movie can't have horror, uh, some some name we'll come up with will be a specific sci-fi horror. Genre yeah, we'll cover like four defined. movies, which include Event Horizon, yeah. um, Event Horizon, and Alien. Yeah, basically. Uh, yeah. God, what a horrible combination! And and one scene of Ad Astra for bizarre reasons I still can't comprehend. Well, I've <laughs> never seen it, so I'll never know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, we've been talking about Fan Fan the Tulip, a movie that was surprisingly popular at its time, and uh, and as such. Uh, it's a weird place in French cinema, uh, but because of that, uh, you know, at least it's a mid-50s fun movie that I can understand why the Criterion Collection showed it to right. us, maybe. Uh, but uh, next week, um, we, <laughs> next week, I'm sure we'll have an interesting conversation about class politics, too, as we talk about The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, directed by Martin Ritt of the uh, Jean Le Carre uh, novel. Uh, hopefully we'll have a guest for that because our friend Donovan Hill, who we have on for a lot of our samurai stuff, is also a huge Le Carre fan. Uh, so I'm going to try and get him on. 
But uh, but yeah, Fan Van the Tulip. It's uh, fun if you can ignore its lack of class politics and its terrible sex politics. Thank you so much for listening to The Washington Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oatari Dorgan. And we will see you next time. Austin Criterion. I'm your co-host Adam Glass. You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My partner is John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and you can find him at J Patrick Dorgan. Check out more of the show at LostInCriterion.com, or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at Patreon.com/LostInCriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Hape. Check him out at JonathanHape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.